Hello, and welcome to the Cancer Care Connect Workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you'll hear from a panel of expert speakers. We'll allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Norma, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care program, Treatment Adherence, Taking Your Pills on Schedule, and Why It Is So Important in Managing Cancer. And it's really taking your pills and taking your treatment on schedule um, is really what the focus will be. Um, it's so important, actually, and it's, it's important to each one of you, so we're delighted to have all on the call today. Um, and today's program is... Uh, a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations. And today's activity is supported by Alliance RX Walgreens, Walgreens Prime, and I really want to thank them for their support of our program today. Um, and we have wonderful speakers on the program today, and we also have quite a few participants on the call today. There are over 200 people on the call today. And you come from all different parts of the United States, from both urban, rural, suburban, and frontier communities. And we also have international participants today from Canada, Colombia, India, New Zealand, Taiwan, and Turkey. So it really is a bit of a global call as well. And a real credit to all of you that you've chosen to spend this next hour with us. And we're delighted to have you all, um, all with us. This is such an important topic. Um, and we have great speakers. I'm going to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Catherine Ruddy. And Dr. Ruddy is Professor of Oncology, Mayo Clinic. And Dr. Ruddy will be addressing an overview of cancer treatment in the context of COVID-19 and definition of adherence, taking your treatment on schedule. It's really my great pleasure to this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Ruddy. Thank you so much, Carolyn. I'm so pleased to have the opportunity to be a part of this conference today. I'm a medical oncologist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and I specialize in treating breast cancer. Very happy to be invited to speak about this important topic today. And I will start by giving an overview of cancer treatment, particularly in the context of COVID-19. Then I'll go on to define adherence. Today's cancer treatments often include surgeries, radiation, chemotherapies, hormonal therapies, sometimes not all of those, but actually for some people, all of those, particularly for patients with hormonally sensitive cancers. There are also other non-chemotherapy drugs that kill cancer cells that we sometimes call targeted therapies because they take advantage of a specific characteristic of the cancer cell to halt growth of the cancer. Surgeries, radiation, and intravenous chemotherapies are generally given in the hospital or in the oncology clinic. But some chemotherapies, hormonal therapies, and targeted therapies are given orally so patients are asked to take them at home. For these treatments, patients bear the burden of making sure that they take the medications as directed, and because of an explosion of new drug, new drug development of effective oral therapies for cancer, adherence to medications is an extremely and increasingly important topic in oncology. Most of my patients do end up requiring oral therapy at some point during their treatment, for breast cancer, this is often an aromatase inhibitor or tamoxifen to block estrogen. And there's substantial evidence to suggest that many patients aren't able to take their medications exactly as prescribed. 
I'm interested in helping patients follow instructions for taking cancer treatments as accurately as possible in order to optimize how well they do. Now, since mid-March, oncology care in the United States and really in the world has been substantially impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. Because of concerns about needing to preserve personal protective equipment, or PPE, such as masks and eye shields, as well as concern about needing to preserve clinician effort in hospital beds so that there are clinicians and hospital beds available to take care of the sickest patients for use in the care of patients with confirmed or suspected COVID-19, hospitals and clinics were unable to offer cancer surgeries for some weeks or even months in some institutions. And radiotherapy was also temporarily halted for similar reasons in many places. In my own institution, there was no similar shutdown of chemotherapy infusions, but especially during the first month or two in March and April of the pandemic, we were trying to reserve chemotherapy for those in greatest need and to avoid suppressing the immune system, which we know chemotherapy can do, uh, unless it was absolutely necessary out of fear that we might be increasing the risk of serious COVID-19 infections. We had restrictions in place with regard to the number of visitors allowed, and COVID-19 testing was introduced and required before each cycle of chemotherapy in my institution. For patients who needed hospitalization um, this spring, there has been um, a restriction, and in fact, at one point, a complete ban on, the num on any visitors in our hospital, which was very troubling to many patients. And where I practice in Rochester, Minnesota, we've really not been hit as hard with COVID-19 as many other more urban areas have. So our cancer care practice has started to normalize quite a bit. We're still requiring COVID testing before each cycle of chemotherapy, but, uh, but some of the other restrictions have uh, um, relaxed and we can now provide surgeries and radiation as we normally would. One welcome addition to our practice related to COVID is the new opportunity to see patients by video instead of in person in some cases, which um, many of my patients have told me they love. This, they find it much more convenient to talk to me from the comfort of their homes than to have to come all the way in, especially because many of my patients live um, quite a ways away, sometimes many hours. Uh, and so those who don't need treatment, um, who aren't needing treatment uh, right here at the clinic or hospital, often like to be able to uh, be seen in their homes. So I, I sort of hope that this is a might be a permanent change in our practice where we're able to continue to do that. So just um, to finish by talking specifically about the definition of adherence, we say that a patient is adherent to a cancer treatment regimen when he or she takes uh, the, the regimen as instructed. So usually that would be taking pills um, as um, they're supposed to be taken, whether that means taking them with food every 12 hours or taking it daily at a certain time of day without skipping doses or taking extra doses. There's also a term persistence that's important because we talk about being persistent with a regimen when a person doesn't stop treatment early, meaning if a pill is supposed to be taken daily for five years, the, um, the person does not stop after only one or two or three years. In the old days, we used to refer to compliance instead of adherence and persistence, but we really like these new terms better because they emphasize the active role that we all play in our treatments, um, whether that's cancer treatment or otherwise. Both adherence and persistence can be challenging for patients with many different medical problems, including cancer. And I'll stop there and turn it over to our next speaker.
Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Ruddy. What a wonderful introduction to this program and setting the stage for the for this whole uh, workshop today. Um, thank you. Um, really outstanding. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. Thanks so much. Um, and our our next speaker is uh, Dr. Barbara Given. Uh, Dr. Given is is a is in, in nursing, and she is university distinguished professor, director of the PhD program, College of Nursing, Michigan State University. And Dr. Given will be addressing the importance of adherence in managing cancer, including the family's role in adherence and barriers to adherence. It's my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Given. Thank you very much, and thank you, everybody, for being on today. Uh, the whole area of, ad, of adherence and following uh, adherence in the uh, COVID period has been a challenge, at least for some of the families that I know. The importance of adherence, I think you heard from our first speaker and talking about it as it relates to the increased responsibility and accountability with the targeted agents that we have really uh, prescribed, and there are so many of them now uh, that are available for cancer treatment. It is so important that everyone understand the importance of a certain dosage that everyone has and keeping the dosage for the disease control for preventing a progression of the disease and recurrence, but also for the difficulty and effect on quality of life by the side effects that lead to increased emergency room use and hospitalization and actually cost. And I think sometimes we aren't careful enough to help uh, patients and family members understand the barriers that happen to adherence, and they get into the situation where the barriers occur and they have to cope with them. And one of the first barriers, I think, is really understanding fully the side effects and the toxic effects that can occur from these uh, targeted drugs or uh, therapy in general and being aware of what individuals, patients, and their family members can do to manage them so the uh, person does not run into difficulty so that they have to go to emergency room to get the management of it. The targeted agents uh, sometimes have side effects and symptoms uh, that we are not used to, and so as professionals we may be uh, lax in helping people understand the kinds of things that can happen to uh, manage them. But I think it's also important in our guidance to make sure that patients and family members understand uh, what to do and to monitor over time to see patterns so that when they talk to the physicians and nurses, they can tell them what's happening. So understanding uh, and having the adequate information is a barrier that needs to be overcome uh, to facilitate adherence as well. I think that... Um, we also have to realize that most of the individuals or a lot of the uh, adults uh, who have uh, solid tumors also have other chronic diseases in which they are taking other meds. So in our studies, we've always had to uh, be sure that we guided the patients and family members to understand how to manage taking the drugs with food, without food, avoiding um, grapefruit, without avoiding certain drugs, avoiding over-the-counter drugs that may interfere with the drugs so that they did not have the difficulty or even scheduling it because when you have other chronic diseases and then you have the cancer drugs that you may be on a week, off two weeks, take 21 days, forget 
uh, seven days, then go back on and maybe have a different schedule. So in one of the studies we had, the patients in one diagnosis had three different protocols of being on meds and off meds, but then you also have your chronic disease meds. So the whole complexity is really important. And again, having calendars and having um, uh, pill boxes to manage them, but also remembering that with some of the targeted agents, one really needs to keep the medication in the uh, device or in the container in which they come because of the storage and the requirement for that. Uh, Other kinds of things that I think are barriers to overcome is having the support. Uh, Family members certainly are uh, one of the support. The literature on adherence would indicate that Patients who have uh, family members supporting them actually have a better overall adherence on a longer, persistent period of time than those who do not have a family member supporting them. We also need our doctors and nurses as support so that we are comfortable in asking questions and communication. And one of the things that's happened in COVID, at least in this community, is the comfort of uh, patients feeling free to communicate with their uh, physicians electronically, either by the uh, my patient kind of way, to ask the questions and then to have the virtual visits that have. And so, the, again, uh, our patients like the virtual visits and really find it a lot easier to ask the questions that they have. Uh, other uh, barriers that uh, we have found with the especially targeted agents is the whole idea of how one gets the meds and the procurement of it. So if the agency in which you receive your cancer care has the pharmacy in which you can pick up the meds when you receive care, that's fine and that those patients do really quite well. But we had a number of patients in our studies who actually got them from specialty pharmacies where they were mailed. And so planning ahead and making sure that the medications were available on the days that they had, that they didn't come too early, that confused the complexity of the scheduling because they got there before they were ended or they weren't there on the days that they really needed. Or like in Michigan, we had weather issues uh, with a delivery of meds and everything. So planning ahead and knowing where and how to get meds is also a barrier that really needs to overcome. In the uh, COVID uh, situation, we've had a couple family members who had to be quarantined that really were very supportive of patients taking the meds. And in the quarantine where they had to be in separate rooms and everything else, it provided an additional challenge to the patient taking uh, the meds and having it and getting all the meds lined up and everything and planning ahead and also the ability to get the meds from pharmacies and stuff. So I think in this day and age, one has to be really, really clear on the the path for procurement so that the meds are available. So together, I think patients and family members uh, can do very well. It is our responsibility now with the targeted agents to do a really good job in teaching patients and family members And I think as patients, you need to make us do that so that you have the information that you need. Thank you very much. I'll go on to the next person. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Given. That was really excellent and very informative for everybody. Um, Appreciate that. I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. Thank you. Thanks. 
And our next speaker is Ms. Sharon Flynn. Ms. Flynn is an oncology nurse. She's a nurse practitioner, nursing research and translational science, clinical center nursing department, National Institutes of Health, clinical research center. And Ms. Flynn will be addressing practical tips to overcome adherence barriers, including travel, weekends, holiday, cost, family, partners, and others, so many barriers that uh, Ms. Flynn will be addressing. And also uh, computer, tablet, and phone reminders, including emails, texts, and apps. It's really my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Flynn. Great. Thank you so much, Dr. Messner, for the opportunity to be on today's call. And I would like to welcome all of our participants and say thank you so much for joining today's call. And I'm going to start with, um, when we're talking about barriers, is my number one um, kind of tip is tell the team what's going on. Um, what are you struggling with? What's going well and what are you struggling with? We are all human. And I'm going to repeat that. We are all human. Some days are better than others, and your healthcare team needs to know on the days that you're feeling well, what's happening during those days. Um, and on the days that you're not feeling fantastic or you're struggling with taking your medications, what is preventing you from um, taking those medications? Be open and honest with your team about how you're feeling. Um, and open and honest with the medications that you're actually taking. Um, if you have a medication calendar and you're just checking the boxes but you're not really taking the medication, um, you're really doing yourself a disservice. Please let us know what medications you're taking and how we can help you. And so right after that, we're going to have you look at your treatment plan. Make a list of all of your medications. Um, you can put those in writing, uh, paper and pen. You can type them into your computer, or you can have them on your phone. Um, in addition to the name of each medication, write down the dose of medication, why you're taking it, um, and when you should take it. Um, and not only the time of when you should take it, but should you take it on an empty stomach, or should you take it with food? Should you only take it at bedtime? All of these are so important when communicating with your healthcare provider um, and your entire team to help manage um, your medication regimen. Ask your medical team um, what to do if you miss a dose of medication. Unfortunately, I don't have a universal answer for all cancer treatments, so it's important to ask your provider what to do. If you notice five hours after you're supposed to take a, a dose of your cancer medication, um, don't just assume that you can take it at that time. Um, call your healthcare provider, see what, um, what needs to be done before just assuming. Same thing if you're about to, if you missed a dose completely and it's time for your next dose, it might be unsafe for you to double up on those doses of medication. So it's important to have all of your medical providers, their contact phone numbers, um, not just during the day, kind of Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., but on the weekends and on the evenings to have a really good um, phone number for them. And then have those phone numbers along with those medication lists in multiple places. Um, not just on your phone as the patient or just on your caregiver's phone. Um, have a printout maybe in your wallet, um, on your refrigerator is a great place, um, medications and phone numbers. 
And if you have a question or something just doesn't seem right, don't be afraid to speak up. The next is to establish a routine for your medication. Is there a task that you usually perform in the morning when you need to take maybe a morning medication? So for example, when you wake up in the morning um, and you need to take a medication within the first 20 minutes of waking up, make sure that medication is at your bedside stand. Um, or maybe it's sitting right next to your toothbrush. Um, or maybe you come downstairs and you check your computer early in the morning. Make sure that medication is sitting near that morning trigger um, to remind you, oh yes, um, it's time for me to brush my teeth and I also need to take this morning medication. That will help you establish a routine for your medications. Next, look closely at the schedule for your medications and think about what's realistic in your life. Are you more of, a, more of a morning person or are you more of a night owl? So I'm a morning person, um, but many of my young um, adult bone marrow transplant patients are night owls. And so if I prescribe them a medication at 7 a.m., there is a zero chance um, that they will take that medication on time, um, usually because they went to bed about three hours ago. But if I adjust um, that medication schedule to 1 p.m., there is a very high likelihood that they will take that medication on time. And so look at your overall schedule um, of the timing of the medications and the number of medications that you're taking in one day. Not just your oncology um, drugs for your cancer, but also look at the medications for maybe your diabetes, your high blood pressure, if you're taking any herbal supplements, any vitamins, it's important to let your team, um, healthcare team know about all those medications from all of um, your prescribers. And when you have that schedule and you see, oh my goodness, there's, there's 15 medications, I'm taking it uh, scheduled at 10 different times during the day, bring that to your healthcare provider. We can help simplify that schedule so that you're not taking medications um, 10 different time points during the day. Um, I think that would be unreasonable to ask of most people. Um, next, you, you have your schedule worked out. Um, I want you to actually look at your pills um, or your tablets. What is that medication that you need to take? Um, are some of the, bill, the pills too big um, for you to swallow? Do some of them have um, an odor to them that makes, it, makes you nauseous um, and you're not able to swallow that pill or they taste terrible? Um, there might be a liquid form or a powder form of that medication. Um, your pharmacist can recommend um, uh, different um, like Vicks Vapor Rub um, or different have a orange prepared um, so that you smell an orange if there's a medication that smells offensive to you to help kind of take that smell away so that um, perhaps you're not nauseated when you take that medication. Um, if you're having trouble paying for your medications, please talk to your healthcare team. Um, we would much rather um, that you say something and we can help find those resources versus saying that you're taking a medication um, but it was too expensive and you didn't even pick it up um, to take to fight your cancer. There are many, many resources available that um, um, not only through cancer care but through your um, local oncologists um, and other organizations. So please ask. 
Um, next, how are you feeling about your cancer? Do you believe that this medication um, or combination of medications are helping you? Hopefully the answer is yes, but sometimes the answer is no, and sometimes it's I'm not sure. It is very difficult to take multiple pills a day and even more difficult if you have questions about the goals of your treatment or how this treatment is helping you. If you have questions about your treatment, um, please talk to your healthcare providers. And how are your emotions? Are you feeling depressed? Maybe you're still in a state of shock from your cancer diagnosis. We know this can influence your medication adherence. Um, you might be tempted to skip a dose because you think, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. You might be tempted to skip an entire cycle of treatment. Um, but I'm here to tell you that you are worth fighting for and that it does matter. Please share your feelings with the team. We have many services to help you, and I want to empower you to be brave enough to reach out and to ask for help. And as we're moving into the summertime um, here in the States, um, we think more about traveling in the holidays, um, even in the, in the presence of, of COVID. Um, so when you're traveling, the most important item to remember, um, other than yourself, are your medications. Um, you can always buy a new bathing suit or a new beach chair, but it will be much harder to get a refill on your medications if you leave them at home. So remember to pack your medications. Um, if you're traveling between time zones, um, try to stick to your current time zone um, regarding the timing of your medications, especially if it's for a short period of time. So, for example, I live in Maryland, and if I were going to travel to California for a week, I would stick to my um, Eastern Standard Time uh, times to guide my medication schedule. But if I were going to Italy for a month, I would ask my healthcare team how I can slowly adjust my medication regimen um, to the time in Italy, the Central European um, time zone. And um, for those of us that, that need to fly to places uh, now, remember to keep all of your medications on you um, with your carry-on. Um, you might have multiple bottles, and it might be tempting to put those into your packed luggage, um, but don't, don't check your medications. Keep them with you. You don't know um, when you might need that anti-nausea pill, especially if you're flying, and if it's in your checked luggage, you won't have access to it. And while you're packing your medications, know how they need to be stored. Some of them um, might need an ice pack um, to get you from your home to where you're traveling to. Um, think about hot cars if you're going uh, to a park for, or on a tour for a couple hours. Um, that could impact the medication and its effectiveness. So ask your pharmacist, um, and they'll be able to guide you uh, regarding how to pack your medications uh, when you're traveling. For weekends, try and stick to your schedule as closely as possible. Um, I know that's hard. We all like to sleep in, and you might need to set extra phone alarms and reminders to help you stick to a schedule. Um, and that's a great time to enlist your support team, your caregivers, um, other family members, friends, to help you remember your medication. So if you're going out at, at noontime um, for a walk in the park and you know you have a medication due, you know, tell that friend, say, you know, in half an hour I need to take this medication. Can you help me remember it? 
And just like during the week, establishing a weekend routine, um, having that trigger to take that medi- to remind you to take that medication is important. So just like brushing your teeth or walking your dog, um, have that medication bottle um, near where that that trigger is to remind you. And so as we move on to medication reminders, there's hundreds of different methods of of ways to remind you to take your medications on time. And I'm just going to talk about a few of the most common. And those are pillboxes, alarms, and calendars. And so that traditional pillbox is probably the most common one. It's a container that you can pick up um, at any pharmacy or, or drugstore where you divide the number of pills that you need for each day and put them in a container. Newer models have the ability to divide those pills into morning, noon, and night regimens. Um, And then some of them have uh, electronic alarms that remind you, oh, it's time for the morning pill. It's time for the noontime pill. Pillboxes are great because um, you can fit, um, for many people, all of their medications they need for the day into one container or two containers. Um, They aren't always the best option if you have a medication in which the dosage changes frequently. For example, some of our um, bone marrow transplant, anti-rejection medications or blood thinners, um, the dosage may change from week to week. And so um, you may have to have um, uh, a special pillbox just for that medication. There are many alarms. Um, There's phone alarms that you can set to remind you when to take your medication. There's actually alarms that fit on the top of pill bottles so that you can um, set them for the different times of day that you want to be reminded to take your medication. Um, And there are special applications or apps on phones that have the capability to um, alert you with different sounds for different times of the day to remind you to take your medications. I will just um, say a slight warning that sometimes, like healthcare providers, I'm a nurse, um, can be fatigued from alarms going off um, all the time. And so we may just kind of hit, it's like hitting the snooze button in the morning. Um, Give me 10 more minutes. Um, We get kind of fatigued from alarms. So you may have to alternate or use a variety of um, different sounds of alarms and different types so that you don't become fatigued. Text alerts um, from phones are another way, uh, popular way to remind people to take their medications on time. And let's not rule out the old paper and pen um, or computer printout um, where you just have a list of your medications, um, the dosages, the times that you take them, and then you put an X through when you took that medication. Um, for some of my patients, um, especially if they, um, if one of um, either the patient or the caregiver works or is not at home at the time that the medication is is due, they'll send a picture of um, either their pill that they're about to take or of them taking their medication or some kind of code um, text uh, that says, yep, I took that medication. You don't have to worry about it. And then I'll Uh, conclude with a reminder to our caregivers and patients that you are not alone. There are networks like Cancer Care to support both our, our cancer patients and our caregivers going through this journey. Remember, you can do this.
Thank you so much for inviting me to be on this important call today. I wish you all the very best and look forward to your questions later on this call. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was really outstanding, just an outstanding presentation, Ms. Lynn, as always, and very engaging, I must say, um, in providing such incredible tips to people um, to really remember to take their pills and even to engage friends, anyone who you can to actually help you. So important. And I know there will always be questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you so much. And our next speaker is Dr. Stuart Fleischman. Dr. Fleischman is former founding director, Cancer Support Services, Continuum Cancer Centers of New York, author and researcher in oncology. And Dr. Fleischman will be addressing planning ahead, lead time in arranging for telehealth telemedicine appointments and refilling prescriptions, and reminders from your medical team, pharmacy and pharmacist, weekends, travel, and holidays. It's my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Fleischman. Hello, everybody, and thank you for participating in today's call. Uh, the idea of getting your prescription uh, at your provider's or doctor's office and bringing it to your local pharmacy is something of the past for many of us, especially in the United States. And uh, we need to adjust to the new way things are done. And it may seem uh, like a lot more cumbersome for some people, but in other instances, it's really important because uh, in oncology, we deal with lots of specialty medicines um, and the local pharmacist may or may not have experience with that medicine. So uh, we may have a trade-off inconvenience for uh, trading off for good information and, and good direction. So if you're uh, getting your medication started or renewed in the telehealth visit, please be sure to have that scheduled at the right time. Um, the interval between getting uh, the prescription uh, authorized, not just set or sent electronically or sent by mail or by fax or however, um, and actually receiving the medication can be quite long. And your treatment team uh, should be able to help you anticipate this in advance and be familiar with what that is and uh, why it's uh, much more complicated than it used to be or that any of us would like it to be. Um, sometimes lab work is necessary. Um, if you're visiting your provider at the hospital, that's often done on the way into the appointment, on the way out of the appointment. That's harder to uh, navigate with a telehealth call. Um, you may need to go to a lab in the area some in some places and some insurance companies there may be coverage to have the phlebotomist come to your house i have heard the local labs um, in my area in california actually driving to the individual's house but the individual needs to go outside to have their blood drawn so that the staff member does not need to go into the house so these are all um, different variations on the same thing but scheduling the telehealth call is important um, we've spoken a little bit about what it means to take medications on time, and that is sometimes very confusing, especially when you're transitioning from a hospital stay back to home. Um, it, has been, um, it has been postulated that medications are often given in hospitals for the convenience of the staff, especially when there's a nursing change, and nursing, nurses used to work eight-hour shifts. Now that many uh, facilities have nurses that work 12-hour shifts, some of this, ch this change-off 
has been taken away. It's only two shifts of nurses per day rather than three. Um, but the way medication orders are written sometimes is a throwback to those old eight-hour shift times. So sometimes it's written for every eight hours, or a medication could be prescribed for three times a day. Well, sometimes that's the same thing. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes every eight hours would be at a specific hour when three times a day may be three times separated by a certain amount of time, not necessarily the exact interval. That's something to be aware of. Um, also, uh, the idea that medicines and food can be a good combination or a bad combination, knowing how long to take a medication before you eat uh, or take it with food or after meals is important information, especially which foods. Uh, we uh, commonly think of grapefruit as one of those um, foods. Uh, if you're having grapefruit juice especially that has a lot of enzymes, that can either help or hinder a medicine from being digested by the body. Um, find out about that. And, again, the pharmacist is, and your oncology nurse are probably the two best sources of that information. Another thing we need to consider is what position do you need to be in when you take a medicine? That's something we don't speak about very much, but there are certain medications, especially oral bone-strengthening medicines, where you need to stand up for a period of time to make sure that the, the pill goes, a good deal of water goes directly into your stomach, doesn't stop in your food tube and your esophagus because it can be irritating there. So up the, even the position to be in, um, food and drug interactions, again, important, but and, and interactions with um, oral supplements, over-the-counter drugs, vitamins, certain teas, um, all of those need to be addressed through uh, the two experts really in, in your sphere, which is the dispensing pharmacist and your oncology nurse. Uh, how medication should be stored at home, not just in travel. Is the kitchen counter okay? Is that safe? Can a child get to it there? Uh, what kind of bottles do the medications come in? Can they be easily opened by a child? Um, it's an important question. Um, some medicines need to be in the refrigerator. Some medications need to be in a dark place. Those are usually already in darker colored bottles, but something else to check. Um, one of the previous speakers talked about a, a, a smell if a, a, to use if a, as a diversion if a medication does not <clears throat> smell so um, enticing to you. Um, many Some medicines do not. Um, a number of years ago, colleagues looked at things to, to put under the nose during long um, PET scans or PET CAT scans, and they found that vanilla extract was one of the least expensive and most liked smells. Again, it varies person to person, but that's been helpful, helpful before for diverting uh, yourself from smells. So where you get your medications is uh, something we just need to mention, that it's not necessarily the local pharmacy, and that often depends upon a number of things. Um, much, most of the time, that means who's paying for the medicine. Is it your insurance company? Are you paying out of pocket? Um, is it you, Some medications are actually delivered at an infusion center if you're there for, at the hospital. Um, the pharmacy is in the hospital or close to the hospital, and they, they deliver the medicines often in a paper bag right to your chair. 
uh, or your stretcher while you're getting your infusion. That's great, but that's not universal across the United States. Many um, mail-order pharmacies will actually send medicines. Find out how they come. Does it come in um, United Parcel Service or another uh, package uh, delivery service? Does it come in the, with, from the Postal Service? Um, is it delivered by messenger? That happens in some of our larger cities. It's important because uh, you need to anticipate that someone is there to accept the package, and if a a um, signature is required. Um, that's, again, something you and your caregivers just need to keep aware of. Um, it, for most of our medications, now, uh, for those of us who do have insurance, um, medications are in tiers, uh, tier one, tier three, tier four, and specialty uh, uh, drugs. And each of these tiers comes with a whole bunch of rules. Uh, some are included at the cost of your premium or the, the premium your employer pays for your uh, pharmacy benefit. Some there is a deductible money you have to spend out of your pocket before the insurance company will pay all a part of it. Um, there may be co-pays before or after deductible where you have to pay a part of the cost. Um, there may be high co-pays. There may be percentages. Um, if the Copays or deductibles may be interfering with you getting your prescription. Please ask at your cancer center, ask in your oncologist's office. There are many programs um, in the United States, and I believe in some other countries, depending upon the insurance situation, where that can be discounted, um, especially based upon what your insurance costs are, uh, what your your um, insurance plan is, and the cost to you. So ask about that. Um, sometimes there is not a, a good um, a good way around this, but oftentimes there is. Um, other things just to be aware of that for some of the older medicines, sometimes there's something called a therapeutic equivalence where if you are prescribed one drug in a category, you can be given another drug in a category. It varies by state, varies by drug, but again, something to be aware of. If you do not have insurance and if you are um, struggling um, to get your to to fill the to pay for the prescriptions as you fill them, please be aware that in the United States there are some coupon services that are available on your phone, online um, that can often be less expensive than the insurance copay and deductible, uh, or if you don't have insurance, can be real lifelines for care. Uh, we could probably spend uh, quite a whole long time talking about the Medicare Part D, the drug program. There are even more rules that go along with that, including a period of time after a certain initial outlay of um, co-pays, deductibles from, from you and from your insurer where there is less coverage. And then after that, that threshold is met, the coverage could be 100%, affectionately called the donut hole. Very confusing. Ask for help. Um, another source of good information about this would be the oncology social worker at your um, at your cancer center or through cancer care. Um, these things can be extremely complicated, and believe it or not, there are people out there whose job it is to make this understandable, <laughs> and you will be able to learn more about it if you find that this is getting in the way of your of taking your 
getting your medications so you can take them on time. Sometimes even the customer service number on the back of your insurance card can be a big help. Varies, depends upon the issue, but you could also try uh, that as, a, as an important source of information. Um, other speakers have spoken about different types of electronic timers. Electronics are your friend. And as you heard, yes, a plain piece of paper, a notebook and a pencil can not only remind you when to take your medicines, but also uh, be a way that you can actually keep track of the medicines you actually took so that you don't have to uh, think a few hours afterwards if you took the medication or not. So this is just a short guide to a very uh, sort of complex matrix of um, skills um, and knowledge that you need to have when thinking about your medicines, but it's just the beginning. Uh, there are many people out there who can help you. And with that, I'll turn this back to Dr. Messner. Well, it's my thank you so much, and that was a wonderful presentation, Dr. Fleischman. And um, I am now um, delighted to introduce um, Dr. Michael Wong. Dr. Wong is a professor of medicine, cutaneous cancers, medical oncology, executive director, integrative integration and program development, Cancer Network, University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. Dr. Wong will be addressing clinical trial adherence and communicating with the healthcare team about assistance with adherence, including guidelines to prepare for telehealth and telemedicine appointments. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Wong. Dr. Messer, thank you very much. It's an honor and privilege to be able to speak to you today. And uh, I want us uh, to, uh, to start by uh, uh, riffing off something that Dr. Uh, Fleischman said before, which is the fact that clinical trials are a complex matrix. But to show you what goes on behind the curtain uh, uh, is one of my tasks today. And one of the things I want to uh, impart upon you, the feeling and the concept, is that the person who's participating in a trial, the patient, is the boss. You are a full partner in a clinical trial that, that you're participating in. What is a trial? That is a structure which we have put together in which we can provide uh, a, a access to new strategies of treating patients, new way of doing things, new drugs to patients. We cannot just open a cupboard and do new things uh, willy-nilly. We have to do it in a structured way in which we're able, at the end of the day, to, 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 uh, to answer simple questions. Is this new way of doing things safe? Is it better? And, and because we all do this, uh, the same way, according to a protocol, we can make statements about whether it works or doesn't work, and this is how medicine moves forward. And, and so uh, we have to work according to a protocol. And uh, believe it or not, this is something which uh, we adhere to strictly. And why is that? Because uh, it is something that we as physicians and as people put trial together have agreed to do together and which at the end of the day will hopefully benefit people and patients and answer very important questions that I just talked to you about. So therefore, things that deviate from protocol or things that we shouldn't do. So if I have a protocol in place and I deviate from it, I get a letter from my boss saying, dear Michael, what are you doing over there, right? So what does that mean for you, the patient? That means that we have an entire structure put together to help get everyone through the system and, and, and get everyone treated or looked after on a protocol. Many of these protocols use medicines and pills, and so uh, because we are doing something very new, we have to really understand how these medicines are working. So you're going to get things like uh, calendars and diaries and, and a whole variety of instruments to help you understand uh, how to take the medicine and 
uh, help us understand uh, how uh, your how the medicine is affecting you. We have a very very strong emphasis on detecting side effects and in looking, and we have a very robust way of looking at the, whether the strategy we're using is helping or not. That's really what's behind a clinical trial. Now I have to tell you, in my family we have a, a physician, two pharmacists, and a nurse. And when my father was taking medications, we still didn't get it right. So I am fully sympathetic about how difficult it is to get these things right. But ask for help. I think that there's. Uh, I think uh, Dr. Given mentioned this. Ask questions. Right? There are specific personnel, and this Dr. Fleischman mentioned that, whose job are to make it easy on you to do this. So ask for help. And it's not just about the medications directly, but also about uh, troubles that you're having. This is something Ms. Flynn uh, mentioned in her talk. Share your concerns. I'll give you this very specific example. We had a clinical trial in which we needed patients to take pills at a certain time, and then we had to take blood to see if the medicine was getting into her blood, and so on and so forth. It was a vigorous schedule, and we realized how difficult it was on patients. And with that feedback, the sponsor came back and said, yes, we acknowledge that. So they, they started doing things like, can we provide a, an e a hotel room for you for the night? Because sometimes these blood draws went deep into the night. That's a very specific example of where when people were patients sharing their concerns and their difficulties with us really made us rethink. Because remember, when we put these things together, we cannot always think of every single eventuality that, that's happened. One of the things I've, uh, that's all, that I've also been asked to talk about is, is you know, the, the whole issue of telemedicine in clinical trials. Clinical trials have been impacted severely during COVID. In some institutions, ours included, we've had a virtual shutdown in clinical trials and now a reopening. Why? Because of the personnel that required to come in, the, the social distancing issues, are, uh, and as things were happening in real time, our, we really didn't understand how this was going to really impact people, patients, and their exposure to COVID. We have a better understanding now, and many of us are now opening up again in stage fashion. What it means is that we are doing a lot of telehealth, and uh, the speakers before me have done a phenomenal job with that, but I want to highlight a couple of things. These are things where you need to do a little preparation before, and I encourage all my patients to put together uh, a list of stuff that's important to them, and to, to, to go beyond that, to even rank them. What's the most important thing that's bothering you right now, right? We, as I said to you before, we have a very strong emphasis on detecting any side effects and harm this may be causing to people. So anything you say is actually recorded and quantified, and we have tables of these things. So what you say really, truly matters, right? And of course, the other thing I, I want to ask you to remember to do is also have a list of action items. I'm having this problem. What can you do about this, right? What is the next step that you have to do? So be very specific. So when you, and, and of course, people are always afraid of interrupting their doctors. Well, sometimes in these visits, if it's not video, it's just telephone, I can't see you. So 85% of communication is meta messages where I can look at you and get a sense that you want to ask a question, but I can't see you. So I tell all my patients, jump in, yell, scream, make a noise, ask a question, please. I can't see you, so please do it. Do not be embarrassed to do it, right? No one, I said, ever died of embarrassment. And the last thing is, uh, and this is something uh, Ms. Flynn mentioned as well, is to make sure that uh, uh, you have some way of understanding how to contact your team, right? So uh, especially in a clinical trial, you will see in a consent document, all over it is the name of the investigator. All over this document on several places are phone numbers. I encourage you that if you have an issue, to use it, to call it. And remember, uh, I'm going to leave you with, a, with what I said in the beginning. On a clinical trial, you are a full partner. 
everything you do is important because without you, the patient, this trial would not exist. We couldn't do it, and nothing would move forward. So you have no idea how important you are, and it's time that you move forward. And if you have an issue, to ask for it, uh, to ask for help, if uh, to seek understanding. We have a wide variety of mechanisms to do it, as you have heard already. Ask to see what's important to you. And sometimes, if even things come and and it's and it are issues outside of what of the actual drug itself, be it how you store it, be you need to go on vacation, be it whatever. Remember your central role in this. And I will end by saying that for those individuals that are on a clinical trial, I say thank you. Uh, it is a, a gift uh, of, uh, of understanding and of trust that you place in us, and we have to honor this every time and every day that you're on trial. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Dr. Wong. That was really outstanding and really, um, and really your call out to people to be sure to ask any question because it's so important, and I think that's been a theme throughout the entire, entire program. Thank you so much. We're going to take questions in just a minute or two. I just want to say a few words about the services that you can access for free from Cancer Care. So I'm Carolyn Messner. I'm director. I'm an oncology social worker, and I'm director of education and training with Cancer Care. And Cancer Care is a national organization, so it serves people throughout the United States, all states actually. And um, we offer services through our Hope Line. Um, 1-800-813-4673, or you may visit our website at www.cancercare.org, and you may post your question or concern, so really depending on your preference of how you contact us. Um, and also, for, obviously, for people from other parts of the country or people who just prefer using the website. Um, the website also has a tremendous amount of information that you can access as well, so just to be aware of that, all the different resources that we offer. In terms of our free programs, we do offer practical and financial assistance, which means a great deal, I realize, at this time to everyone. And those services are both available, the financial assistance is available both um, from our case care financial assistance program and we have a copay assistance program. And we have a number of other assistance programs as well. Um, so when you speak to one of our oncology social workers, they'll be able to really go over with you all the services that we have that could be helpful to you. And we have many, and some are specific to types, different types of cancers, and some are actually for everyone in terms of needs. And the, um, the other thing that we offer, which is really important, and I think for many people calling our Hope Line, is an opportunity to talk and get support from our oncology social workers, really to talk to them about your concerns and questions or issues that you may be struggling with. We know that these are particularly difficult times, and both in terms of coping with cancer and also living in an, an, an era when we have a, a pandemic. I know it's different in different regions of the country and world, but nevertheless, we are, um, many people are living with a degree of social isolation, staying, staying put to some extent. Um, many places are starting to open up, but um, this, people often with cancer feel a bit alone, and indeed, this has extended people's feelings. Of, of being alone. And so having a place to call and talk with someone about your concerns and your coping can be very, very helpful. So um, with that being said, um, we now do have time for questions. I'm going to ask Norma to bring all of our speakers on board, and we're going to take as many of your questions as possible. And um, so, Norma? Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, at this time. 
If you would like to ask a question, please press star then one on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking ask a question. Again, to ask a question, that's star one on your phone. And we have some questions from some of our online participants. And so, um, and I'm going to start with a question for Dr. Given. I rely on my caretaker to help administer my medications, but I'm worried there will come a day where she will be unavailable. How should I prepare myself? Wow. Uh, that's difficult and common. And I think um, to get to the extent that uh, the partnership exists of how to uh, keep track of the meds and the scheduling and everything with the caregiver who does it, I think learn that. But I also think that there are now uh, software packages. So if you have available uh, iPhones that you can get apps, there are ways of having uh, healthcare professionals help set those up to help, and then also in communities, uh, there are often uh, home care agencies or uh, helpers, uh, especially for the elderly, like the area agencies on aging, who will come in and help set up the systems for that. Uh, and uh, those are the most common things to do when people are not, uh, when people are living individually and separately. But being a partner and doing it together along the way rather than depending totally on the caregiver is really an important step. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, a question for Dr. Ruddy. I'm getting a terrible joint pain on my breast cancer medicine. I know it's important to take it, but what can I do? Sometimes I just can't force myself to take it. I know this is a common issue, and Dr. Ruddy, if you could address this. Um, yeah, this is such this is such an important um, topic to bring up because certainly side effects are a major impediment to adherence for a lot of people, uh, especially in breast cancer. Um, the joint pain can be uh, debilitating, as can hot flashes. The best data for management of joint pain um, certainly suggests exercise uh, and, um, in some cases, weight loss. The uh, there are sometimes medications that can help, and I guess the first thing I would say would be to discuss this with your clinical team. Um, sometimes we even try a different anti-estrogen medicine. Um, for some reason, some people feel better and have less joint pain on one than the other. So I would definitely have a discussion with your clinical care team to kind of discuss the, the options for you. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and a question for Dr. Warren. Is it okay to put medicine in some pudding or another treat? My mom has difficulty taking her medicine if I just give it to her normally. Yeah, that's a great question and uh, one that I face personally. I think uh, the, the, the best answer is ask your clinical trial or ask the nurse uh, or even better, ask the doctor who prescribed it whether uh, or not this is something you should do. Uh, yeah, most teams have pharmacists that work with them, so that's actually the point person for this question. Why do I say that? Some, some people sometimes open up capsules and sprinkle the things inside the capsule on, on something like yogurt or something which is easier to, to take, especially if swallowing difficulties. But it was in a capsule in the first place to protect it from the stomach and allow it to get through the stomach's acid into, the, into other parts. I spoke previously about some people taking things that are 
packaging to make it easier for their uh, parents, uh, elderly parents, because the packaging is hard. Well, the reason why it's hard is because it was light-proof and moisture-proof. And here in Houston, where I am, it's hot and humid most of the time. The pills will degrade. So these are two specific examples of reasons why you should ask. Uh, uh, I understand the issues and the problems of that, both for taste, consistency, and sometimes safety, especially if, uh, like in my personal case, there was difficulty swallowing. So, but please ask the uh, development team care member, a good point person, if there is one uh, on the team at the pharmacist. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and a question for uh, Ms. Flynn. Um, I remind my father to take his eight, medica uh, eight medicines. I will be out in the country for a week, and it will be difficult to call during the times I usually do. What can I do just for the week? Could you comment on that? What a Ms. great question. Great. Thank you so much for your question. Eight medications, and to keep track of that when you um, aren't in the same household is difficult. Um, hopefully, your your dad has um, neighbors that can check up on him. Maybe once a day they can rotate through, or a social group um, or faith organization that could check on him and rotate um, maybe day by day, looking at um, if he has a list of his medications and puts an X through each one that he took. Um, other things are when um, we have long-distance caregivers, so not you, but maybe another member of your family can uh, touch base with your dad um, every day, um, maybe if he needed it twice a day to see how the medications are going, um, making sure that all of his pills are um, easy for him to um, get access to. So just as Dr. Wong and Dr. Fleshman said, um, is he able to open the, the pill bottles? Um, do they need to be put um, in a different container that makes it easier to open? Um, and I would encourage your dad to um, have a list of those medications, put an X through the ones that he has taken. You can always, um, when that volunteer comes in, kind of count the pills. So if there were 10 pills left in the bottle and he was supposed to take one, there should be nine um, at the end of that day. But if there's still 10 in the bottle, then um, maybe he forgot to take that medication. Um, so that's also a way to double check. Um, while you're away, um, just enlisting the help of other family members and friends to check up on your dad and those medications. Um, so thank you so much for your question. That's a great question. That's true. And this will be the last question. This is for Dr. Fleischman. Um, so the issue of uh, I've, I've tried to schedule most of my medical um, adherence of taking my medications to fit my lifestyle, but it isn't always possible. Um, can you make any suggestions in terms of helping someone to with this, and particularly people who have are busy during the day and they have to take various medications? Yeah, uh, there sometimes is a little bit of wiggle room depending upon what the medicine is and what uh, it's exactly what it's treating. Um, sometimes after the first few days, there's enough of the medication in your system that there's an you have a little more of a margin of between the exact time and the time you take it. Please discuss this with whoever is prescribing it, the oncologist, the oncology nurse, 
the oncology pharmacist, if there is one at the cancer center you go to, the specialty care pharmacy from your insurance company who is paying for the medication or from the uh, pharmacy that is dispensing the medication, um, there, there may be a way to make a legitimate change that will not harm you, that will actually help you uh, take your medicines at a reasonable time and not miss a dose. Well, thank you. I want to thank our speakers. You have all been quite phenomenal in this call today, really. Um, this is such an important topic, and I have to say that having such a multidisciplinary team today uh, talking with all of you and also all of your wonderful questions, also a, a great team today, I have to say. I want to thank everyone. Um, now, I know there are many more questions in queue, and so I want to address that right away up front. So, first of all, for those of you who asked a question today, or for those of you who thought of a question you'd like to ask or still have a question you'd want to ask, or because you heard someone ask a question, it makes you think of another question, I want you to take all of that back to your treating healthcare team. We definitely want you to do that because your team knows you, of course, the best. They know you very well, and they know a great deal about your know about your whole history they have uh, and so that's an important thing to do but we also know that many of you do like to um, get information um, perhaps more informed information before you uh, speak to your healthcare team um, we we definitely want you to go to very credible websites and getting information um, and in about in two days you'll be getting an evaluation of today's program and we do like to get your feedback but the evaluation also um, will include um, resources for you, resources that you may have gotten already from us and some that may have mentioned during the call. So we often do recommend for those of you who want to get additional information on a question you may have is the uh, National Cancer Institute. It's uh, www.cancer.gov and again you will get that uh, resource and they also have a, uh, an, uh, a, a number that you can call to speak with one of the information specialists, and there's a live chat feature as well on their website, so a lot of things that you can get very credible information. Um, and for those of you who may have questions regarding COVID-19, of course, the CDC website um, is a great resource as well, and we'll include that and their, their numbers as well. Um, for those of you who have particular types of cancers we will also provide. We have on our website many of the organizations that we partner with have specific information. And there's another organization I just want to mention. Um, it's uh, it's uh, cancer.net. It's the American Society of Clinical Oncology. It's their website, and they have a lot of information um, that might be useful to you as well. So we don't want anyone to feel that you have a question that you can't get answered. You do want to take it to your healthcare team, but we also want to give you these extra resources that you can check with, but then always check everything with your healthcare team. That's really important. And for those of you who wish to pursue further services from Cancer Care, please do contact us. Either call us on our Hopeline or visit our website um, and our oncology social workers are here to help you with any questions or concerns you may have and also with any practical or financial assistance that we're able to provide. Um, we have a number of different um, specific programs that I think could be very helpful to many of you on the call today. And most importantly as we conclude today, we would not want any one of you to feel that you're alone in coping with cancer and in dealing with adherence or any issue related to your cancer experience or survivorship experience. We want you to know that you're now part of a, 
a community of support and that we are here to help you. Um, and in addition to Cancer Care, there are many resources out there, and our staff are particularly adept at really connecting you and really not just giving you a name or someplace to call, but actually really walking with you to that resource to be sure that you're connected and got that need met. So that's another very important component of our services at Cancer Care. So again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.